Hey, 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 it's here. Season two of Daily Border Crossings. Just what you've been waiting for. I know, exciting, right? Daily Border Crossings, season two, with your host, me, Samantha Fletcher, just in time for Thanksgiving. So over the holidays, you've got plenty of free time to listen. You're so lucky. The new season of Daily Border Crossings, the best podcast you're going to hear these days. It's here, all right? Season two, Daily Border Crossings, starting right now. <sighs> it's taking me so long to get this podcast out. Yeah, it is. You need to like work on it more, like a lot more. What do you think? More, 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 more. I, I, a lot more. Thanks, KJ. I always start. A lot, lot more. Well, I sit and I just, it won't come, like, I can't finish. Like, I don't know what's taking so long. What should I do? Just get it done. It's, it's not hard. Just, like, record. Just record. And put it together. It's, it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be this hard. So smart. Thanks. You're going to wish me... <laughs> you going to wish me luck or something? Uh, yeah. or any any, any um, words any final words take a month take a month I've taken too many way too many welcome back welcome back welcome back welcome back Samantha girl listen this is Joe and between Harvard and COVID daily border crossings was my respite Okay, it brought me joy, it brought me information, and well, I'm all caught up. So I'm going to need that season two, and I'm going to need you to stop being all Rihanna, all of us waiting for you to drop that next album, please. Season two needs to come out tomorrow, I'm ready, get recording, because it's time, okay? Love you, take care of yourself, and, and get in the studio. Okay, bye. Hello, this is Dr. T, and I listen to your podcast from Washington, D.C., and I'd love to know what's been going on. Samantha, please tell us. What's new? Hey, Samantha. This is Love from New York. I'm looking for new shows. When are we going to get some new shows? Huh? What's going on with you? Let me know. Let me know. Hey, Sam. This is Jess calling in from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I miss your podcast. What have you been up to lately? Hey, Sam. It's Traction. I listen to your podcast from the UK. Would love to know what you've been up to and what you have planned for the rest of the year. Hello, this is Shinsik. I listen to your podcast here in Seoul, South Korea. I can't wait to hear season two of Daily Border Crossings. Hi, this is Seema. I listen to your podcast here in Norway and on my digital nomad travels around the world. And I love it. I can't wait to hear season two. Hey Samantha, this is Richa from India. I would love to know what's happening with Daily Border Crossings that you continue to do while at Harvard. And I'm looking forward to seeing which are some new interesting people that you're getting on board now to talk about education and all the different amazing topics that you usually cover at every podcast. Thanks and hope to see you soon in action. Hi Sam, this is Gleb from Russia. What have you been up to? And are we in for a treat in the new episodes of your podcast? By the way, did you know that your podcast is blocked in Russia and you need to listen to it using a VPN? In Russia, this usually means that this is good, interesting, and worthwhile. Hey, Samantha, this is Loyola from the Navajo Nation, Albuquerque, New Mexico. What have you been up to? It's Gladiel in Boston by way of Panama, and I'm ready for season two. Come on, Samantha. Hi, my name is Arude, and I love, love, love your podcast here in Nigeria. And I can't wait to get season two. <laughs> good day, good people. Oh, I hadn't said that in such a long time. I am back, and it feels so good to be back. Back from the pandemic. It's like, nah, we, we still in that. Back from Harvard. Y'all, I did that. Harvard degree in one year, and I did it for the culture. I represented y'all well, and I'm actually not totally back from Harvard because I'm still there, just on the teaching side of things. So, what am I back from? I'm back, back on this mic, talking to y'all again. Back with season two of Daily Border Crossings. Kicking the season off with an update show. I'm your host, Samantha Fletcher, and this is the Encore Season. Hence the music. It's the Encore Instrumental because we are back. Back to educate and motivate and make you think. 
Learn something new. Consider something you hadn't considered. Be inspired by others' stories. Learn from folks about how to treat people, how to be more inclusive. All of those things from season one, but more of them and in different ways this time. Speaking of season one, man, I repeat, it's been too long. What y'all been doing? Did y'all miss me? I missed y'all. I missed the joys of just talking into this microphone since the first season. It's been a minute. I've done so much and learned so much. And I've gotten so many stories to share with you. I can't wait. Like, I'm so excited about that. So many people for y'all to meet. It's going to be an exciting new season. So much has happened. For starters, did you hear the opener? Okay, so first there was me and my son. I'm grateful to both my six and nine-year-old sons for pushing me. Isaiah six, KJ is nine. In fact, my son KJ came up with the idea to do an update show to bring you all up to speed. And I'm like, that's a great idea. You're so smart. <laughs> Since in terms of podcasting, I've kind of been MIA through an update show, I can tell you all what's been going on with me. But then after my son, at the beginning of this episode, after my son and I talked, the people from all over the country and all over the world listening to my show. Daily border crossings just crisscrossing the globe. There was someone, as you heard, from DC, New York, from the UK and Norway, here in the States from the Navajo Nation and Harvard and Boston. Um, where else? Um, South Korea, Canada, India, Russia. Russia? Okay, Russia? Just let that sink in. And then there was Nigeria. Nigeria. The motherland, listening to my show, that is super humbling and encouraging and amazing. You know, when folks tell you that God's plans can be bigger than yours, this was an example. This show was the manifestation of what an idea can become. I hope it encourages someone, someone listening right now to move forward with some idea you have. You just don't know what it can grow into or become. You don't know who you might reach or who you might help. So I definitely want to thank God for taking daily border crossings across actual borders to listeners in so many places. I also want to take a minute to say thanks to all the faithful listeners for tuning in and for sharing this show with others. That means a lot. It's been a long time coming since this was just an idea years ago. And then from that to the first show in March of 2020, I started out largely to help educators. But I have had people from all walks of life and now from all over the world tell me how much they get from this show, some impact it made. Now that fuels my fire. A passion of mine is helping people. And I thought this show might help some teachers here and there. And it was therapeutic for me. But to learn that it was reaching more people than that, like that gets me super excited about being back. Turns out this show is actually not just for educators. This show is good for anyone who wants to be better at being a better person. And for folks who want to learn about things outside of themselves, starting with this update show. Now, you heard my son in the beginning telling me, take a month, which is our family saying when someone is taking too long to do something that really should be simple and quick. This time he was using it against me in a literal way. At the end, he said that I had taken too many months to start season two, and he's right. But I was exhausted. I can't even, I don't even know what was going on. I just couldn't get started. Over these months, I was either working a lot or getting my life together and learning some really valuable lessons that I'll be telling you all about that can help personally, professionally, all of that. So the first part of this update show will be a little different from the norm. I'm usually the one asking the questions. This time I'll take some questions and generally give you a slight peek into my life, what's been going on, and as I said, share some wisdom gained and some lessons learned. After that, I'll tell you what's in store for season two, including some changes and additions to the show, as well as some exciting upcoming guests this season, one of whom I'm excited about that's coming up very soon. Author, educator, professor, amazing, talented, extraordinary, Dr. Goldie Muhammad. I'm super excited about that. Lastly, on this update show, I'll update you on guests from last season. For example, the Asian American Educators episode was a very popular one. I caught back up with Cindy and Ariana. Find out if things in their day-to-day -day life have changed for them with regard to being of Asian descent in America. 
All that and more. Sit tight. It's Daily Border Crossings. Sam, I always love to hear what you're up to. Can you tell us a little bit about any projects you're working on or maybe what you've been doing since graduation? Uh, Yes, thanks for asking. I can answer both. Again, this update show is different. I'll be doing more talking than usual because I'm usually interviewing someone, except that today I'm answering questions and sharing. It's a chance to turn things on the host but I want to be as concise as possible. Um, Let me start by saying that I want to share pieces of my journey in the hopes that something I say will be helpful to someone. So if you're listening and you hear something that you wanna know more about to help you move up in your life, reach out to me, I'm here for you, okay? Okay, the questions. I've been up to this and that, doing things, learning lessons all more than I can share in one episode. So I'll be dropping some nuggets of wisdom throughout the season. So first, probably the biggest update, I graduated from Harvard. Yes, I did that. I remember applying and getting in. Seeing that confetti falling on the screen of my congratulatory acceptance letter. It was surreal and to think I've graduated. It has come full circle. I walked away from my job in the classroom, stepped out on faith, and did it. Now we can do a whole nother episode itself about the process, funding an Ivy League degree, GRE, and all sorts of fellowships because thanks to fellowships, I did not have to come out of pocket very much at all. So what's Harvard like? That's a question I get a lot. I can't speak to that fully because I was part of the first and only fully remote class, but Despite being online, things were pretty robust, and we got to know professors and peers pretty intimately. Like many places, it lacks a lot of diversity, but it is diverse. It has a ways to go regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, and it at least admits that. It is open to advice and suggestions. At least that was my experience at the ed school. I was at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. So what else? You have access to some top-notch items, studios, labs, libraries, VR equipment, for example, and access to top-name professors. They're at the top in their field. They're at the top nationally. You meet with them. You can build relationships with them. It's also pretty amazing to be together with that many innovative, forward-thinking people from all over the world, all working toward the same goal. That was a beautiful thing, y'all, especially if you're into cultures and learning about people and their different backgrounds and cultural norms like I am. It is a beautiful thing because because it's Harvard, people from all over the world want to be there. And so you meet all these people, most of whom end up wanting to launch some sort of startup or business or organization. It's amazing how much and how quickly that gets instilled in you. It's like in the air there. I'm, I'm interested in launching one myself. So I graduated with a master's in TIE, so that's technology, innovation, and education. And when I was there, I got involved in a number of things, right? A lot of things, more than seemed possible in a year. Check out my website to see all of them, samanthafletcher.com. Being there, showing up, getting involved with so many things, it all paid off. I, pretty proud about this and humbled by it, I was voted class marshal by my peers for my leadership. That was pretty cool. I was also selected as a student keynote speaker for Harvard Black Graduation. Speech was entitled, We've Got To, and I encourage people that when they are in proximity to power and empower themselves, hold others accountable. I also talked about rethinking who we're researching and why, to move away from always researching black and brown, little kids, students and adults, and begin to flip that. Research those teachers and leaders of those places who often are not black or brown. So you can also check that out on my website, samanthafletcher.com. Click graduation keynote speech. It's only about six minutes, so it won't take long, but I'm pretty proud of that too. I think it's a great speech. I was very humbled by a number of people who talked about how the speech moved them. So check it out for yourself. You'll see to start at the 27 minute mark. Okay. A couple cool classes and things I took advantage of that I want to share. Thanks to a course at the Kennedy School I took, I got to work with the Birmingham's mayor's office helping draft police reform policy recommendations. I did not see policy writing in my future, but I got to do that. Also, while at Harvard, I created an app called SAL, which stands for Sharing Anecdotes and Learning, along with two of my peers. It's a teacher professional development app to help them combat racism and microaggressions that they're often unaware of and help recognize bias. The app is in its prototype stages now. 
Also, I co-wrote a script for a TV pilot for a show called What the What? about proactively teaching elementary age kids about stereotyping to help them be mindful and have a more responsible online and television viewing experience. Okay, a few things that I didn't expect, right? There was literally a class called Cream, the Wu-Tang song, right? Cash rules everything around me. Author and professor Anthony Jack goes by Tony. Tony Jack designed a class about higher ed called Cream. And on the first day, the Wu-Tang song was playing. I was in heaven. Um, Cornell West, he's just like you'd imagine, but maybe I actually did expect that. Theatrical, dramatic, a dynamic, engaging speaker, just as a professor talking in class. Henry Louis Gates, he is everything. Approachable, friendly, helpful, sincere, smart. He was more than I imagined in terms of a professor that could be distant or standoffish. He was great. Fantastic. Completely awesome. His class was awesome. It was an African-American literary class and two big takeaways that were like mind-blowing. One, African-Americans were the only ones, right? We're the only group of people who came to writing for proof of ability to show that we were able and capable and have brains that can reason and work. Whereas other groups of people were starting to write to tell stories for fun, for pleasure. We are the only group that wrote to prove that we could. Also, okay, this is mind blowing. No one speaks in the color purple. Okay, let that sit for a minute. Alice Walker's The Color Purple. Alice Walker was so phenomenal. I did not realize this. I had to pull it back out and reread. But Professor Gates pointed out that no one speaks in the entire book. The whole book is her writing letters. And I knew that, but it's like she gave the characters voices so well that you forget that these are just her thoughts and her sharing her interpretations of things that have happened. And she's still, even though she's doing it from Seely writing letters, And to just a short part, it's Nettie writing letters. Alice Walker does such a good job of developing characters through the thoughts of only two people that, I was like, okay, Alice Walker, you just went way up back to the top because I've seen the movie a thousand times and everybody talks. And I had not thought of the book being completely devoid of any speaking parts. Hey, Samantha, what grade did you get on the assignment, Harvard Grad School, Say Her Name Edition, special episode? Okay, yes. Thanks for asking. There was a class I took called Say Her Name, and it looked at black women and discussed gender, race, and punishment. And Brianna Taylor's name was in the title. I was like, there's no way I'm going to come here and not take this class. In the same way, the Kennedy School course, creating justice in real time and being placed at a mayor's office and with all the stuff that's happening with police and George Floyd had just happened um, last year. Like, there's no way I'm going to be here and not take advantage of these courses. Say Her Name was an incredible course in itself. And rather than do just write a regular final, no, no, I created what I called a pod pain. It's like a, an audio visual podcast and a campaign campaign for the hashtag us too, which is something that I created for us to really think about black women. Um, and I called it say her name centering versus erasure of black women. And it was looking at this group of people who is so instrumental to society. So many more people benefit than just black women when something happens for black women. So it's to everybody's advantage to take care of black women, to center them. However, we are so often erased. You should check it out if you get a chance, not to toot my own horn, but it really, I put a lot of hard work into it. I did a lot of research and found some incredible women who were in the civil rights movement who never or rarely got their stories told. So I did that. I talk about those women and I interview some different professionals about what's going on with the centering versus erasure. And I interview some Harvard fellow peers of color to get their take. I wasn't entirely sure where I was going when I started with that. I just knew I had an idea that I felt like was a good one and I let the spirit lead me. And yeah, it ends up being this Q&A style interview with um, some really awesome professionals. Don't you love how sometimes you just get in your groove and things just start working out? I mean, I had a law professor from Cardoza School of Law, Echo Yanka, the super amazing, talented, incredible, brilliant Lashira Lash Nolan, who is a Harvard medical student and president of her class. Everybody in the video was amazing. And so these are people that I interviewed. 
and I just brought in so many different perspectives and still weaved in so much of the research so I could cite sources. It was pretty, um, a pretty neat project and uh, so, I guess, incredible or interesting that it caught the eye and ear of the leaders at the um, DEI office at the Ed School, and they hosted a uh, two-night viewing and panel discussion. So that was definitely a highlight, and over uh, 100 people register from all around the country, and yeah, first night we watched it. The second night we had a panel discussion with Echo Lash and then Janelle Fouché, who is a PhD student who taught the course and a TIE alum named Phil Chu. It was a really incredible experience and it'll be something I remember, a fond memory that I have of Harvard. And to answer the question that I never answered from the beginning, what grade did I get? Well, I took the class for pass-fail. However, Janelle Fouché, who is the teaching fellow who helped design the course, wrote a very favorable, um, glowing comment about how she was blown away and that meant a lot. And then also the professor, Kaya Stern, wrote that she loved it and that I passed and added that had there been a letter grade, I would have definitely gotten an A++. I encourage you to check it out if you want to hear or watch it. It is episode 10 of season one on the podcast called the Special Harvard Say Her Name edition. It's on YouTube. If you type in Say Her Name, colon, Centering versus Erasure of Black Women, Harvard Grad School Podcast Pot Pain. Check it out. So I share all this because I hope I can help or I hope it could be helpful, but also to just let you know that I was drawn to the kinds of things that were clearly my passion. And I think anybody out there, if you let whatever your passion is drive what you do, you're going to make it. You're going to be just fine. That helped me continue sharpening my DEI skills and meeting people to feature on this show so I can bring needed info to you guys. All right. One last thing I want to share that I did was I worked a lot at the intersection of TIE, Technology, Innovation and Education, and DEI, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. Big tech companies, right? Big tech is not very diverse at the top. And so I'm working to help shift that to help with diversity by getting students involved in tech in STEM. They're involved anyway. They don't even realize it and helping bring awareness and interest at the adult level. So that's another interest that was peaked there. And that's something I continue to work on. All right. So that brings me to what I'm doing now. Just so you know, uh, this summer I did another fellowship with the Boston Public School District, working at the district level in the Office of Equity, Strategy and Opportunity Gaps. Also, I just wrapped up teaching a virtual high school course on equity and technology at this revolutionary tech and design school in Cambridge, where students create using the latest technology. It was neat doing instructional design and using research and all of that to design that whole course. And then to zoom in each day to teach it to the students, that was an awesome experience. It really got them thinking about the internet, social media, VR, all sorts of technology and their roles in it, considering aspects of their identity. Also, I am now a teaching fellow at the Harvard Ed School for an ed tech course with education and technology enthusiast, Professor Chris Didi, the course is on learning technologies, so implementing them to help with global and local challenges in education related systems, and then thinking about how learning technologies can transform education. So I'm a teaching fellow helping guide graduate students through um, those courses. And I'm also a TA, which is a teaching assistant at the Harvard Kennedy School for noted activist, lawyer, and former president of the NAACP, Professor Cornell William Brooks, in his course called Race and Racism in Public Policies, Practices, and Perspectives. Also, I'm working with an ed tech company in the area of teaching and learning inclusion and innovation and helping to lead its online professional learnings as they relate to DEI. So when I'm not podcasting or teaching the courses, I'm doing consultancy work in DEI, especially around designing professional learning, PD, workshops, facilitated discussions on DEI, race, and aspects of identity for schools or organizations. I incorporate a lot of technology in this PD, which makes it user-friendly and really helps people to still be interactive when they can't actually be together. Um, I speak and advise on the best, latest, and inclusive 
early childhood education practices. So I'm also doing that. And I do independent research in ed tech and on education in general, as I continue to work at the intersection of technology and diversity. And I write, create multimedia productions and speak on these intersecting topics, DEI and tech or ed tech, as well as education and leadership. Hey, Sam, you got to tell us, what was it like doing your master's with your kids at home during a pandemic? How did that go? Okay, that's a great question. It actually wasn't too bad. I feared that it would be. Can you imagine you're a wife and a mom and you want to go back to school and you think that you're going to be away for a year to just focus on this new degree and this new chapter. And then all of a sudden a worldwide pandemic breaks out and you realize that not only will you not go, but you'll be learning from home and your kids might be too. Interestingly, or fortunately, or however you want to put it, the school that they were attending was open the entire time. So they only were home. The school was only out on Wednesdays. So we were all together on Wednesdays. But um, it was great. And a number of adjectives, crazy, funny, tiring, unbelievable, fun, rewarding. Sometimes they would be in what I called the dorm, the guest bedroom downstairs with me until they fell asleep while I was doing some work. And they'd, we'd all sleep in the bed, cramped up together. Um, One thing recently though, uh, KJ, who is perfectly fine sleeping by himself, asked if he could sleep with me the other night. Um, And I asked why, and he said, I just have an uneasy feeling. And I thought, this is strange, what is going on? And he said, I don't know, just all the violence against black people. I just feel uneasy. And KJ is nine, Isaiah is six. Let me pause parenthetically to say my kids are super amazing, smart. Um, They just got the report cards, all A's for both. Um, These brilliant, wonderful future leaders, right? These awesome black boys. And I lift them up because I know society will tear them down. And I definitely believe in lifting up black girls too. I was a black girl once. I teach them about the importance of um, people from our group who are often not treated in the best light. And so hearing him say that was tough and heartbreaking and he laid in my bed and I just hugged him. And this is an example of a thing that black parents go through. All right, now on the update show, some successes and failures, highs and lows, basically lessons learned that stood out as I had time to reflect. I'm gonna try to go through these rapid fire. Okay, a note to educators, do not, do not, do not go back to your old way of teaching, not your old way only. The pandemic had lots of bad, yes, but it also was a chance to finally take a break from teaching as we knew it and allow us to teach in revolutionary ways. Remember, things were not great in many ways before the pandemic. Don't go back to business as usual. Incorporate some of what you learned, what you did differently. Blended learning, for example. Think about ways you utilize technology. Think about the ways virtual teaching was better. Also, Think, think, think on this. In what ways are you including and protecting those babies, those kids coming back to you who were feeling quite good, protected, included, safe in their judgment-free nurturing environments? Okay, you get one life, one life. We hear that all the time. It's becoming more and more real to me these days, as much as social media, TV, instant gratification, this pace, right? Fast pace, fast pace, fast pace. As much as all that can make it seem like things are going to go on forever. They won't. They don't. You get one life that is so real. Go for it. Whatever that thing is, go do it. This is a big one. Be sure that you're not living your life trying to prove something to other people. This is something that many of us get caught up in without even noticing it. I sadly had gotten way off track in my profession at my last job trying to prove so many things. I wanted to teach and later I wanted to do diversity work and I was excelling but getting repeatedly overlooked, dismissed and I began to question whether or not my work was really good and so I got so caught up into proving that it could be and proof, 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 I became consumed and I got off track from what I really wanted to do. Don't do that. Don't trade places with me on that. Check and ask yourself, am I doing what I set out to do or have I gotten caught up trying to prove that I can do what I set out to do. Don't do that one. You'll just end up spinning your wheels like me. Who out there am I speaking to? I'm speaking to somebody. You started your role, your job, whatever, and ended up getting caught up in this crazy cycle of proving, yes, I can. Wait, what? I'm good enough. Don't waste your time. Trust me. 
Okay, speaking of your work, a lot of your stuff will go unnoticed if you don't make people take notice. If it's just some hobby and you're not worried about it, no biggie. But if you're doing something that you believe can help propel your career, and this is a part of your full-time career and profession, don't waste time being mad at people who are not noticing because sometimes they're noticing and just aren't saying anything. Instead, find a way to get somebody who matters to notice, and it might be somebody on the outside. But with all of our access to technology, social media, everything we have right now, get yourself noticed. Okay, this also goes for if you wanna grow yourself and aren't sure how. What's that thing that you're good at that no one else is at your job? You do it better than most, you do it more than most, or they're not as good or as interested as you. Whatever that is, address it, tackle it, get gooder. Okay, I just made that word up. But don't do it with a self-righteous attitude and be mad that somebody else didn't do it. Do that thing, bring awareness to that to the higher up, especially if this is something in addition to your regular job and you're taking your time, bring it to the person and discuss how you can continue to do it for compensation. Again, don't trade places with what I've done. Don't fall into the trap of working for free for years. I did that. I got paid, yes, for my regular job, but I was doing a lot more than just my job, okay? And thinking back, I should have been asking for more for a long time. But people will take this extra stuff and sometimes take the credit and the shine and appreciate all of that without you getting compensated. If they benefit, so should you, right? Next, it's okay to ask for help. No man is an island, okay? However, depending on what it is that you're trying to do, maybe you're trying to be an entrepreneur, especially if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, know that you will be doing a lot by yourself because no one is going to have the same vision or care as much as you. Now, sometimes it's gonna feel hard. It's gonna make you mad to look at your friends and look at family and you're gonna be thinking, why are they not helping me? You love your plan. You love it so much. You want them to be as excited about it as you. And you've probably even heard them say, oh, let me know what you need. I'm there. That's not gonna happen. Not as consistently as you need them and just not as much, okay? You'll see people on TV with a team. You wonder where your team is. You'll build a team over time, but be willing to get an intern, hire someone sometimes, or make a list of those people you can count on and go back to them as much as you can without overdoing it. You are the team. Okay, lastly, if you are in a relationship and you find yourself arguing about who is supposed to do this or that, stop. Get rid of whatever somebody decided are supposed to be the roles in the relationship. I cannot thank my husband enough. It is because of him and because we decided to throw out typical or stereotypical roles and responsibilities that I was able to go back to graduate school. He stepped up to the plate and said, go, I think you should. I will take care of things with the kids. And he did. Now, There were a number of people who said to me, what? I would never allow my wife to do this. She would move away and I have to handle all of the duties with the kids, school, dinner, laundry, and work. No way. But he did all of that. And I am forever grateful. Had we had designated specific rigid roles, because I ended up not moving away, I was here at the house because of the pandemic It could have been easy for us to say, oh, well, you're here. You need to go upstairs and do their laundry, do the dishes, cook. But no, he did it all because he gave me his word and we decided that. And so we stuck to it. And so if you find yourself arguing about who should do what, here's one thing I want you to remember. One major takeaway from me in all of this is I felt like the only role that really should be written in stone is that of whatever role is required to get the thing done that needs to get done. That's it. Fulfill that role, whoever it is, to get it done and get it done. It'll cut back on the fights and arguments. And you can thank me later. Hey, and I I wanna just add that I love black love. That was black love. Yes, could anybody from any race do what my husband and I did? Yes, but we happen to be black and I'm calling it black love. Having somebody who has your back when you can Whether it's family, best friend, or you are in a relationship, marriage, whatever. Having that love and support, man, it propels you forward. It helps you in your professional career also. And it was important for me to share this here so I could help somebody else that might be wasting time not recognizing the support you have or who might not be supporting somebody special in your own life. When he decided, yep, I will take on all responsibilities (laughs) so that you can go back I wanted to scream it from the mountaintops. I wanted everybody to know because black men get such a bad rap. And here is my husband 
who has his government job. And throughout the years, he's worked his way up and up to senior level. He's super humble, so he'll kill me that I am sharing all of this, but whatever. But by the time you're at senior level, you're busy, right? You are caring for and managing and overseeing and doing all of this with your own employees. And you got a lot on your plate. So it was not lost on me that he was like, you know, despite all of this, we'll work it out. I'll figure it out. Him doing that made me want to even try harder for whatever's coming next for me so that I can do something like that for him. Black love, y'all. Okay. Okay. I have so many more lessons I learned that became helpful tips and advice to share with y'all, but I'm going to stop here. Why? Because I'm talking too much. That's what you do on a podcast, right? You talk. But I'm thinking about my classroom days, and I always wanted to hear from the students more than hearing myself. And right now I'm doing a lot of the talking because I'm not interviewing anybody. And even though I got some good stuff to tell y'all that I believe will be super helpful to folks because it helped me, I'm going to save some of those tips because I still got to tell you about changes to the show and guests coming up this season, plus update you on the guests from last season, including letting you hear from Marty Swain from episode one and hear from Cindy and Ariana from the Asian American Educators episode. But I will give you a quick preview of some of the tips that I want to still share with you. Okay, a big one that I got from Harvard is fall in love with the problem. Sounds strange, right? Who wants to fall in love with a problem? But if you fall in love with the problem, and some of you already have, you will be guided by your passion and end up spearheading startups, leading initiatives, and in professional settings you never dreamed. Case in point, I ended up being the speaker from the U.S. who spoke on leadership in early childhood education at the Global Teach for All conference a few weeks ago. One of only four. The other three were from three different continents. So I'll tell you more about that at a later time. Also, knowing when it is time to leave your job. I'm speaking to somebody right now. You've been feeling in your gut that it's time to go, and it probably is, especially if you're staying on some old sayings that people say, the grass ain't always greener. Stop it. By now, you have learned how to deal very well with brown grass anyway. So, okay. So I'll have some tips on that. And lastly, on the power of alone time. Not just a quick weekender or week away, but like renting a space for three weeks to a month. What is that reconnecting with yourself like? I know, I did it. I'll share another time. All right, so who's coming up on the podcast? What will be different this season? I mentioned this and I'll mention it again. Dr. Goldie Muhammad, author of Cultivating Genius, and she's just smart, okay? She's designed this framework for teaching that helps teachers include our black and brown children and also includes all children and helps them to think critically so that they get it. Dr. Muhammad, now a professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago, has a model that is both culturally responsive and historically responsive and grounded in black education and black excellence. She's also now working with music mogul producer Pharrell, Okay, it is rare to see education and hip hop link up with such a big name producer. I'm like, okay, say what now? Pharrell, like Pharrell Pharrell. I don't know them both personally yet, but as great as they both seem, I can only imagine what they might do together. So I can't wait to hear what they have in store for us. A lot of teachers and schools are adopting her way of teaching and I'm so excited to have her on. Also coming on is Chaz Scott, a mindset expert. He's going to talk to us about habits and self-limiting beliefs that keep us stagnant or from reaching our goals. Plus, there's a lot of talk about mental health these days. Does shifting mindsets impact that? I'll be asking him. Also, I know I personally have talked a lot about going back to grad school for my recent master's degree, but not everyone is going that route. With the internet being filled with online courses and trainings, as well as with many people looking to forego college debt and years of school and get straight to learning a trade, will this become a trend? Is there a shorter, faster, and lucrative way to career success? 
Credly is a popular credentialing company, and Career and Technical Education, Albany Campus, is a vocational and technical high school in Albany, New York. Representatives from both places will be on to talk about paths to alternatives to the traditional college, a route that was once shunned or frowned upon by many in society. But is this the smarter way? Trade and vocational fields, are they on the rise? Should they be? Is this the way of the future? We'll find out. That'll be coming up this season. Plus this season, in addition to having regular everyday people share their stories, I'm going to talk to people in industries that impact those people and those stories, such as politicians, lawyers, professors, and members of academia. And what about organizations created to help certain groups? We'll talk to those leaders too. What about what our children are learning from the kind of curriculum being followed? We'll talk to the makers of those. Also, I'm planning to add video to our format, so we'll be on YouTube as well as in audio form. So two of the changes I'm super excited about are related to upcoming segments. One segment will be specifically on the intersection of diversity and inclusion and technology and innovation. So looking at people from underrepresented groups, in what ways are they being technologists without even realizing it? The tech world is not so diverse at the top, as I mentioned. Think Google, Facebook, etc. The top is very white, often male, but some people who don't fit that description are there. What are they doing? How are they paving their ways in those spaces? And what advice would they have for others who want to? That's just one example, but the episode will be related to technology today and diversity. We might feature TikTokers and influencers. How are you making technology work for you? Especially if you're from an underrepresented group. What's your intersection with technology looking like? How are you impacting technology? How is it impacting you? The other segment will be featuring unusual job titles for roles you can actually do. This is something that I also noticed during this past year. There were lots of job titles that didn't sound familiar, although the description was of job duties that were very familiar and very common. What professional positions are you being kept away from because you're unaware of the lingo? You may be missing out on the very thing you're qualified for and never knew it. I'll be talking to people occupying these roles so they can share their titles, what they do, and begin helping you realize how to open more doors of employment opportunity. Okay, so an update on past guests on this show. Almost like a where are they now? I'll start with my last guest first. Dr. Freeman Hrabowski, who was on my April 2021 episode, is leaving UMBC at the end of the school year. He's retiring from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. He's 71. In the spring of 2022, that's it. He's going to hang it up after being president for 30 years. I don't know who UMBC will find next, but I do know This is one tough act to follow. I can't stress enough, you guys. This man is a legend and a not as well known as he should be civil rights icon and someone responsible for countless black PhDs and black and people of color leaders in science and tech fields. I encourage you to listen to Daily Border Crossing's April 2021 episode. He drops so much knowledge on there. Wait till you hear the part about how having a mentor is good, but having a champion is also necessary. When he explains what a champion is and why you need it to excel and accelerate your life, your career, you'll wonder why you haven't been listening to him longer. And Google him, watch his speeches, read an article, read something he wrote. You will be in awe, encouraged, inspired, and you'll be glad you did. And while we're on the subject of legendary activist, brilliant black men leaders, another really popular show featured the one and only Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III. His two-part series on Daily Border Crossings, episodes three and four, where he too was dropping knowledge, oh gosh, on things like COVID-1619, the real pandemic, a term he coined. Um, He talked about how our school systems need to change. What was lost by whiteness? referring to the great amount of loss that came centuries ago when white people gave up heritage and ethnicity for the ideology of being of the superior quote-unquote white race and what that loss looked like. He talked about his predictions on the post-George Floyd Black Lives Matter multiracial protests and where he thinks those would go. He talked about what was really happening 
during the President Obama run for office when he was the actual leader of the church in Chicago, when Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright was catching all this flack. The episodes were extremely beneficial to us as educators and really to people, anybody who wants to live a good life as a decent human being. I encourage you to check them out. So what is he doing now? Well, for one, he's highly sought after, so he speaks all over the place. But most consistently, you can catch him and his infinite wisdom on Sundays doing his creative audiovisual multimedia versions of sermons at trinitychicago.org, or you can look for that Trinity Chicago channel on YouTube. I caught up with him recently because I was distraught and angry over the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. I did not want to feel the negative emotions I was feeling, so I reached out and, being the kind, compassionate, brilliant reverend that he is, he said this that I want to share because I want you to get this down into your psyche the same way I did. He said, quote, the America myth is a dangerous thing. It makes people believe we are a moral nation and not a broken people. Close quote. Woo. It's just like him to drop something heavy or deep and true. He in one sentence reminded me of the truth of our nation. Not that I didn't know it, but maybe my knowledge of it gets buried sometimes beneath my constant hope and expectation for betterness. But he reminded me of the truth of our nation, despite its projected fake facade or myth of being this moral place. Remembering that made the trial, its shenanigans, its outcome, all the more expected and moved my emotions to an unhappy still, yet less angry place because I was not surprised, just disappointed. He also suggested I be the light. And I'm suggesting that you do too. Okay, how about former guest Alexandra Bailey from episodes two, and she came back for five. She discussed hardships growing up as a biracial girl who identified as black. Well, she had been an organizer and an activist, and unsurprisingly, since our show, she ran for office and won. So now she is an advisory neighborhood commissioner for a neighborhood in D.C. All right, a lot of you remember Marty Swain. She is the guest on my inaugural, my very first Daily Border Crossings episode. She's a white woman who was a public school teacher for decades and retired with disappointment about the achievement gap and the awareness of its connection to race. She later co-founded Arlington, Virginia's Challenging Racism, an organization that educates people about the prevalence and inequities of institutional and systemic racism. Marty struck me because before her, I had not met a white person that committed to fighting racism. Just hadn't. Google her to learn more about who she is and listen to episode one of this podcast where she lays out what teachers need to do to incorporate race and make their classrooms truly inclusive. If you are a teacher, a white teacher in particular, and you're serious about changing up parts of the way you teach to be more inclusive, if you're wondering what are some of the things you should be doing differently, I urge you to check out episode one. Marty retired from challenging racism last year, and though she's retired from a second place, that is not stopping her. As long as there's racism to fight, she cannot keep still. Here's what she had to say when I asked what she'd been up to. Uh, in the summer 2020, the COVID time, I taught myself to can. <clears throat> Using a wonderful book that's been sitting on my shelf for years and years called Saving the Season by Kevin West. I started with peach jam for my husband's birthday. Yummy. And in that time provided by COVID, I developed a new interactive presentation on racism, tentatively called The Big Lie, um, a description of racism uh, that is found in James Baldwin. And I'll share more later on how this can be scheduled and what it includes. Your question about cross-border experiences or othering um, made me think a lot. Since 2016, I've become active in a virtually all-white religious group with an activist social justice history. I did so because I need the support of at least some white people who don't think that I'm weird because I raise questions about racism in the world. In addition, I do have a personal desire to be in and support a religious community, and this is a very welcoming group. And finally, you know, a re white religious community um, is potentially a great source of white people who could be persuaded to take racism seriously and thus change the world. 
However, I realized during the reflection time provided by the COVID that six years into this relationship, both in the local community and the national affiliates, I am outside. It seems that way to me. I've paid my dues by serving on important social justice committees, but my very polite, really not pushy offers to support the anti-racist work of this community through leadership or presentations or speaking are virtually never considered. Locally, I'm encouraged to show up as a facilitator when needed, and I I was um, allowed to chart once uh, for the larger group, the national organization. I think it really has to do with the fact that although I have a lot of experience, I have not done exactly the training this white religious community does on race. Or maybe it's just because I'm relatively new. Who knows? This makes me sad. I don't trumpet my skills. Maybe I should send in a resume. I once asked a colleague of color if maybe the members of this religious community who have power around organizational actions on racism and training and so on did not know about my credentials and therefore might not know how I could be of use to them. She laughed and she said, no, they can Google you. White people know. <laughs> so I'll keep on trucking. Uh, what keeps me up at night um, is that the McAuliffe, Virginia governor's race is really close and that the Democrats have not passed the infrastructure and build back better bills and that one half of the U.S. voters think that Biden is not the elected president and that even the relatively low standards of sixth grade SOLs are failed by almost half the kids of color in APS. You know, if this was white kids at Yorktown failing, uh, there would be riots in the streets. But what gives me hope is that in fact, both in the news and conversations all over the place, people are talking about race and racism more than ever in my lifetime. And sometimes those conversations are good, as those in the 1619 New York Times materials, and sometimes they go kind of badly, as in the critical race theory discussion. I just have the feeling that most people haven't thought too, white people haven't thought too much about critical race theory, and so they're kind of stuck about what to say, even if their intentions are good. I do read about white principals and white board members who step up to the plate and give very clear answers about um, teaching history and teaching about racism in history and um, about how this discussion about critical race theory is like a red herring. Uh, I honestly think that that would never have happened even three years ago. So that's a big change. Take care. Thank you, Marty. When Marty provided the answer to my questions, the Virginia gubernatorial race was still happening between Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin and the outcome, as you may know, Glenn Youngkin indeed won that race. So glad to hear Marty is still out there working and, and that she's hopeful. Those are pretty good reasons to be. Next up. Hey, Samantha. Just wanted to follow up with uh, episode seven, the Asian American educator experience. How are Cindy and Ariana? Thanks for checking in. For those who don't know, Cindy and Ariana, theirs was one of my most listened to episodes. They are Asian American educators who were candid and open and shared about daily border crossing moments they face being of Asian descent in this country. I caught back up with them to see if much had changed since their episode. Here is Cindy. Hi, it's Cindy here with an update. I'm coming out of pandemic hibernation, teaching in person full time again, and it feels good. Um, no lie, this year has been tough. What happened in the spring, the acts of violence against Asians really hit me. And I, I resorted to a lot of writing to help process my emotions of all these years of, of border crossing moments. And, and now, I would say it's still about the same number of border crossing moments. It happens weekly. I went to vote last week and had um, you know some questions about my name being Chinese. Um, my son, who's in virtual school, had a parent kind of interrupt the meeting, um, asking the teacher if it was an ESOL class. You know, his camera was on. Um, a lot of different moments for us to process and talk about and move on. Uh, what gives me hope? Well, my son just turned 12 and got vaccinated, and that was super exciting for our family. Um, I also had 
someone from high school who listened to the podcast um, who had reached out last year, and that felt good to be felt, heard, and seen. Thanks again. And thanks to you too, Cindy. Ah, Thanks for sharing those. I mean, the questions about the Chinese name, the Esau comment while your kid's face is on the screen, and for those who don't know, there are a number of different acronyms. Esol is E-S-O-L. There is E-L-L, E-S-L. There are more, but essentially they all mean generally the same thing, which is that English was not your first language. And that's important um, in the teaching sphere because, wait, let, let me back up. It is supposed to be important because the point is supposed to be to differentiate your lessons in ways that are supportive to students for whom English was not their first language. But as many people who live in the United States who were not natives, okay, like if we want to count ancestral natives, then the only people from here are indigenous people. So to ask the question while the Chinese child's face is on the screen, one could presume they're asking that question because they are assuming that this is a child for whom English was not his first language when this child was born in this country and English is his first language. And some people think, oh, I'm just asking about a Chinese name. Oh, I'm just checking about ESOL or ESL. But that's the kind of stuff that just gets old and gets tired and gets tiring. And And when you experience it, you just get frustrated and sick of it over time because it's not like you're just hearing it once every now and then. You're hearing it so much that the cumulative effect is like, F you. She did not say that. Those are my words or my letters. Um, Again, Cindy, thanks for sharing. I'm glad there are some things giving you hope. Now we will hear from Ariana. Hey, Samantha, I um, am responding to your question about border crossing moments and just things that are, you know, keeping me up at night or giving me hope or whatnot. And it's sad to say that more of it has been the keeping me up at night. Um, Here in Minnesota, we have a lot of local school board elections where we have candidates who are campaigning against uh, quote-unquote CRT. So it's always been something on my mind just in terms of fatigue. I am heartened by a lot of white um, neighbors and colleagues who are trying their best to make sure that you know, equity education is always on the forefront and that American history is really incorporating everyone and everyone's experiences. But it's always on my mind that, you know, white supremacy is always consistent in its evolving ability to fight back. You know, we look at these Confederate monuments that were erected around the time of, you know, this the civil rights movement and just know that, you know, that narrative, that narrative of like, no, no, we really care about everyone's education. We don't want um, politics, you know, in education. And just to know that, you know, personal um, is politics and, um, and politics is personal um, and how all of that is really setting us up to, you know, erase erase the contributions of, of people of color and queer people and just those who've been relegated to the sidelines and margins of history and how that's all by design. Um, and I think about that when it comes to our our students and that how, you know, they're taught very early on when we're trying to to fight this mentality that we all are just struggling for these little crumbs, not even the whole pie, you know. So it really is, um, it's really disturbing. And I just hope that we can move forward together. But that, you know, that sense of accountability is is always there and it's always important to own up to what we've done um, in the past and what we continue to do. Wow, Ariana, thanks for sharing that. And what a phrase you had in the middle there. White supremacy is always consistent in its evolving ability to fight back. Wow, so accurate, so true, and so unfortunate. When many of the people on the front lines battling, fighting some of the things you pointed out, also claim to actually care about justice. But justice for who, though? 
Do they really know what justice means? Because to me, it means for everybody. But again, thank you so much for taking your time to update us. It's unfortunate that there are so many things keeping you up at night. I appreciate you telling us about them, though. All right, I'm glad I did this. It was good to catch up with some guests from before. It makes me realize even more that this show is necessary. Cindy heard back from someone from high school. Um, The whole idea that they are still experiencing things means to me that I need to keep getting stories out there. And it's just a reminder that the struggle continues in a big systematic way and also in our individual lives. So I'm grateful that they returned to give us an update. And I'm grateful for you for listening and learning new things about people. And I'm hopeful that it will help me, you, all of us to be mindful of how we show up in the world. And I'm hoping we'll hear perspectives that we hadn't heard and they might shift our minds and, you know, help us make the world a better place. As cliche as that sounds, it's up to each of us. It really is. Um, And I'm grateful for them and I'm grateful for you. And I'm ready to keep pushing with daily border crossings. And speaking of continuing to push, we have pushed till the end. Are you still with me? Hope so. We made it. Episode one, the updates episode is in the bag. Thank you so much for being on this journey with me. I want to close with this. This podcast was an ear opener for me onto the daily, as the title implies, border crossings or experiences people of color in the U.S. experience that I was completely oblivious to, having never ever lived in the U.S. before. So that is a woman named Seema. She lives in Norway and it's things like that. She heard the show and had no idea of the experiences of groups in this country. And this show is giving her a window into what different people go through who live here. I hadn't even thought of it going across borders, as I said, but but it has. It is going across borders and helping people to learn and know and understand. And all I know is I'm excited to keep pushing forward. And as always, Daily Border Crossings is produced by moi, me, Samantha Fletcher with music that you hear by miles j beats he's really got some good stuff so let me know if you need some just sick fly instrumentals and different music genres let me know and if you want to be a guest on the show if you want to just reach out to me with a question with a comment whatever shoot me an email at dailybordercrossings at gmail.com you can also find me at samanthafletcher.com So thanks for joining me. I will see you soon on episode two of Daily Border Crossings. Take care.